From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome everybody to episode 164 of the Killing It podcast oh you guys are in great voice today <laughs> I feel, i'm almost feeling back to normal so that that also welcome back too. to the world dave welcome back well i'm gonna gonna start us off with a fun one today guys what other profession do you admire but couldn't do well i, I gotta say I'll, I'll start with the one profession i'm grateful every day of my life that it exists and i could never do is nursing I've never seen a nursing job that I could do either physically or emotionally. You know, first nurse I ever met was an ICU, a children's ICU nurse. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like, little kids, you know, getting sick and dying. There's no way. And every nurse I've met since then has got a job. I just, I can't see myself doing, but I'm glad they do it. Yeah. We're glad they do it. Cause they save the world. When, when I was five, I wanted to be a fireman. Um, and, and I realized, I don't, I don't like running into fires. That's not that's not my thing. But I will tell you, as a as a grown up, the one that I I'm fascinated by and I literally couldn't do, it's that space between architect and then the execution of big buildings, skyscrapers, monuments to mankind. I literally do not have the patience to like. No, that was a great drawing you did there, Ryan. That was really cool. We're gonna finish building it, and you could go see it in eleven years. <laughs> oh no! If nothing goes wrong, look at you guys with the admirable ones. See, I'm, my answer, like, is I'm actually going to go with comedian, and and it's, and the reason is, is that I so am impressed by the way good comedians write, and the ability to link multiple things together into a coherent whole and take an audience on a journey. Like, uh, you know, I am, I. I I guess I aspire sometimes to be an entertainer with this kind of thing, but a good comedian and their ability to craft naturally that way. Wow. I admire it. And no, I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my second answer would be pretty much every profession on earth. Cause I, <laughs> I can't do very many things, but, but I appreciate all of them. Exactly. As an entrepreneur, I know my limited skill set. Exactly. <laughs> I, I am focused on it like a laser. <laughs> well, did you know Cisco helps managed services providers directly? Do you know about the Cisco Partner Program? Focused on helping partners combine managed services expertise and service creation with innovative Cisco technology and proven go-to-market resources. There's a program option for you with provider pricing, MDF, and marketing resources coupled with Cisco's leading technologies, including Meraki, Duo, and Umbrella. Learn more with the link right in the show notes. Excellent, thank you, and welcome to topic number one, everybody. Uh, today, we're gonna be talking about ransomware and the implications that happen in the real world, but I mean, all of us have kind of grown a little bit uh, just just a little bit numb to the next headline of oh a terrible attack and oh no somebody lost their data but this one i think it rose to a level that actually 
surprised even me after all of this time. Uh, we're linking in the show notes to an article from the folks over at Engadget about Lincoln College in Illinois. It's the esteemed institution that was the only higher education institution named after Abraham Lincoln while he was still alive. And they closed down this week. They literally ceased to exist a little bit because they lost some money during the, the pandemic and registration and enrollment and yada yada. But really, really, it was because their systems got locked down in a ransomware attack and it took them four months to get their stuff back up and running. Um, this is not just the concept of ransomware. This is real-world implications. I'd love to hear your, your thoughts uh, from the two of you guys. Where are you at on higher education and ransomware or the broader topic of ransomware? And are we not doing something about this stuff? Well, I, I did cover this one on, on Business of Tech, and I wanted to note that they at least my reading of it and research into it, they were less than clear what portion of this is pure the ransomware and what portion of this is operational difficulties due to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So higher education obviously has a, has a cost and an income portion to it. They were struggling with COVID-19 and had trouble with all elements of business operations then because they couldn't do, run the business due to, due to the ransomware taking everything off of line. It's unclear to me how much is just the ransomware. So I want to be a little bit cautious as a technologist immediately jumping to, oh, ransomware took, it da took him down. It's like, well, they may have had some other elements of business operations problems, yet they were unable to get back. I mean, the, the incident was that, you know, months later to get back up in line. You, you look at it and go, well, most businesses would go out of business if they were offline for several months. So I don't want to like hang too much on saying they had a business problem, but I also want to acknowledge that they also had business problems going into this. Yes. Well, you know, the, the old maxim has been that, you know, whatever, 15, 20 years ago, if you lose a hard drive, if you are down, if you have a system failure and you don't get back up within 24 hours, your chance of going out of business in six months is extremely high, right? Nothing has changed there, but I think one of the things that's happened with ransomware is that if you don't have a way to get back up, it just raises the, the threshold of businesses that must go out of business a notch higher than it was before, right? There's always a bottom layer that just lives on the edge <laughs> And uh, if you then do something like this, uh, I think it's just, it, it raises up the number of those or the percentage of those businesses that will disappear and never come back. Um, it also points out once again, if this happens to a hospital, if this happens to some other emergency service, um, it's really bad for everybody. And this has to be a national concern. And we can't be tolerant of IT service providers who don't provide appropriate backup and don't offer these services to their clients and to say, oh, the client won't pay for it. That doesn't that doesn't work anymore. You know, governments have to have budgets for this and and IT providers have to be competent at restoring backups. See, Carl, that's where I went to. I I mean, it's tragic that they that they're closing down. It's it's monumental because it's the first university or college that, that has gone this route and they did have problems before. But my head went to 
Okay, so I could, on like my personal cell phone, give you the email or the cell phone number of a minimum of 10 different MSPs in this world who specialize in higher ed and or K-12 and eat, sleep, and drink the education work, uh, work environment and their technology stack. And I know for a fact that they all provide manage security services to those educational institutions. If this college didn't have a plan, well, A, if they had an MSP that was managing their services, a systems integrator who was delivering technology who didn't address this, malpractice on the, the provider. But if they don't have a third party who specializes in this, well, uh, I don't want to sound mean, but dude, reap the whirlwind. Like that, you live in a world where ransomware happens and you are a target of very much rich opportunity because you've got literally thousands of individuals and their personally identifiable information. It's, it is utterly irresponsible to be out there dancing around in the world without an actual plan. I, I looked at that four months and I was like, you gotta be kidding me, right? Yeah. <laughs> This, this is such a weird spot to be in because there's so many elements where I want the, the answer to be and like it's complete incompetence to do this and it's a completely unnecessary tax on business that ransomware is the problem that it is. Yeah. The, true can, the two statements can be true at the same time. I don't have a ton of, of tolerance for those that have not analyzed the current situation and taken appropriate action to cover for it. Like data backups at a minimum just feels like one of those things where like, I can't believe you would be in business without those things at a very minimum. I'm willing to see ground on the like complicated high end sock reaction, all kinds of all that kind of crazy stuff. But it's like backups just feel like a thing you should have. Right. right. And the ability to restore your systems. I don't necessarily need it to be in seconds, but I think you ought to be able to get back in, I don't know, a reasonable hours view of time. Yeah. Like Take a week if you need. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and so, so there's this element of, of saying, like, I don't want to over engineer the solution to make it so complicated or spend that much money, but I also want to see this like, there's a lot, there's some incompetence if you can't get to that level. Yeah, I think more and more that we have to look at the Venn diagram of was the service offered and was the service accepted, right? And, and if the service was not offered, that's one set of problems. If the service was offered and not accepted, it's a different set of problems. And this is where I just want to sort of shout out to the National Society of IT Service Providers. We need to literally address this. We need to have a public discussion about this to make sure that legislators don't come in and say, you people are not doing your job. I haven't read it, but CISA literally today, the day that we're recording this, came out with some new guidance for customers of managed service providers. So, you know, the government is getting involved in this and we need to make sure that they know what they're talking about and don't just say, oh, ransomware is bad and IT providers are incompetent. And it's your fault. <laughs> Sadly, it's time for another topic. Uh, but maybe the topic is good news. Maybe, maybe. I'm going to talk about Apple. Did they just really honestly do a 180 on right to repair? <laughs> Apple's been one of the most adamant companies that says, you know, it is not possible for you to switch out a battery because you're not certified by Apple. 
And so now they've come out with a kit, a, a series of kits actually, that they've announced that they're going to make available for you to do some basic repairs at home. Um, interestingly enough, sidestepping their own partners on this one. So um, it's kind of, it's sort of the ultimate right to repair, but um, you know, it, it m m keeps them in the loop and keeps their partners from necessarily making some money on those repairs. Um, so it's the most Apple solution to the problem <laughs> I have ever seen. Like, so like as somebody again, who, who's very pro right to repair and who, who's looked at this a lot, it's, it, it they, they've, they've done all of the things, right? So there's the manuals are available on the new, on, on some of their new equipment. They're going to roll it out more. They have made the tools available. They're making the parts available and they have managed to price it in such a way that it is so incredibly close to just having them do it that it makes very little sense to do it, your, do it yourself from a practical perspective, yet they have done the things appropriately. Like, I, we put everything out, we've made it all available, it's just not competitively priced. But I will observe that the right to repair does not include the right to cheap repair. That isn't what's included in it. It is just the, you have the ability to do that stuff and they have made that available. I I look at it more from the perspective of, of long term. Again, I'll put my retro hat on for a second, right? I've got equipment, like RetroVit gaming gear, that is decades old. That having that equipment, those, those manuals available would actually be a very, very big deal now to try and maintain some of this hardware that is done just for the purpose of maintaining it. Apple's approach is much more that these devices are somewhat disposable, right? You will have it for a three-year period. It doesn't necessarily make sense even from the way they've positioned it in the market to repair it. Yet, if you have a reason to keep it in production for longer, they have made that possible. And I, so I'm looking at it and say, like, it's really easy to throw the stones here and go like, oh, it's completely ridiculous. And it is funny. But they've actually hit the spirit of why I want those laws and rights in place is if you're choosing to maintain that over a longer period of time, now the things are possible to do it. Well, and I mean, one thing you don't see very much of in today's economy anymore is a vacuum repair shop. You know, there once was a time where a vacuum was very expensive and it was mechanically not all that reliable and you needed to pay a professional to either come to your house or go to his storefront and get that thing repaired. These days, buy a new vacuum, right? I think that's where Apple's trying to fast forward the conversation, but it's a case of them just taking a look around, reading the tea leaves and going, oh, dude, you can't hold that position any longer and get away with it. They were as indignant as they could have been for years. How dare you think that you own your equipment? You bought it from us, but it's our brains inside of there and we won't allow that to occur. They were, they were as haughty and condescending as they could have been for years. And then as soon as they looked out there, they were like, there's no way you're going to win this fight. They went whoop, all the way to the other end. And now they're like, okay, fine, you can repair it. It's just going to cost you a whole lot of money in the process. Which, by the way, if I put my solution provider hat on, I'm going to buy one of those kits and I'm going to do that work for 10 different people. And now economically it makes sense and I can undercut them on the pricing. 
What I will observe is that some of the apparati that's associated with servicing your iPhone, that is some draconian looking stuff. Like uh, I, I realize that building a device is a different manufacturing industrial process than disassembling one, but that phone is built to resist the swimming pool and a drop down the stairs and a lot of other things. And it's real hard to take it apart. Some of those devices are cool. I, I will note, you can buy four high-end vacuum cleaners for the price of an iPod or iPhone. So, but, True. You but know, you won't I'm, have clean floors. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, you know, a few things I would note. First of all, I do think there's a huge piece where they were they were seeing the way the wind was blowing. And clearly, that's the way to go. And And to be honest, uh, a lot of this, people don't have, they don't understand that they don't have the skills. If you're a technician and you know how to solder, that's one thing. Apple is not required, nor is anybody else required to make a battery that slips out and can have another one slip in. So if it's welded in place, if it's epoxied in place and you just like, you are going to break it and cause a fire if you do it wrong, I totally get why they're not obligated to change the way that they manufacture. I get that. And I have to say, we're about to enter an era where a lot of people are going to have phones that are scratched all the hell because they didn't know how to figure out how to open it, <laughs> even with the tools that were supplied. So keeping all of that in mind, I like the idea that this is actually a huge step in the right direction for right to repair, that you should be able to access this stuff online and make the decision like, oh yeah, I'm never gonna do that, right? <laughs> and, and, right? But that's a lot of it, right? Right now, the tools that you need to fix a monitor or what you need to fix a lot of the things we have in our house uh, are not generally uh, in your toolbox. They're available, you can buy them. That's another set of costs. Um, but the idea that those who want to repair should it's really important because aside from collectors like Dave, there are people who just can't afford an extra $1,300 here and there for a new phone. And if all you really need is a new battery and that thing can last another 10 years, what the hell? Let somebody do that. That's my opinion. See, and as a person who really enjoys watching uh, home repair television shows and is in the process of going through a home remodeling uh, project, uh, there is a radical difference between can and should, right? Uh, there, there is there is a g gaping hole in the world between, oh, you could crack open the walls in your house and you could pull it down to the studs, but you personally probably shouldn't do that. Hire a professional. And that's where it comes back to the more sophisticated your devices are and the more expensive your technology becomes, the more logical it is to hire a professional. Even when the electrician costs $185 an hour, don't cross the wires. But making the toolkit and the information available for all kinds of technicians to do the work is a good thing. And so, so like, again, I, I want to reiterate, like, they're, they're doing it in the most Apple way possible. That is an intentional, funny comment on my part. But... That, you know, I, but I don't want to have some kind of weird argument about the spirit versus the letter of the law. They are do offering what is required from that. A, re a right to repair does not say the right must be cheap. It says that the, the option and the, the information needs to be there. 
And it is, I think they've done it in a way that at least meets all of the criteria of what I'm looking for. I just want to see it across all devices that are new, that are from now onward, going forward. And if you do that, okay, good enough for me. You know, one of the, and I'll let this go in just a second, but one of the, the pieces of doing it the Apple way is Apple basically waits until everybody has had all their complaints about something out there, and then they say, okay, let's just design something that addresses all of that at the same time. And that's kind of what you know this does with regard to online documentation and all that. So uh, if nothing else, they get to say that they are taking the high ground, uh, even if they were dragged there kicking and screaming. And they also get to say it in a way that says, um, hey, you guys are the ones that asked for us. Don't complain when you get what you asked for. And, and if you scratch the hell out of your <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to move us on to topic number three, and, in, and this is a bit of a conglomeration of several different articles that have been coming over out over the past couple of days. Um, and you know, for, for those of you listening, you came out on Tuesday, we're talking about things that happened last week so that you're getting a, a sense of the, the sentiment when you, the listener, are, are, are listening to this. There's been a series of articles about the downturn, the coming tech downturn, uh, as we've seen the markets kind of, kind of you know, take a much more negative spin as we're moving potentially toward a recession. You've seen a lot of, well, things in the tech industry are going very badly. Uh, you know, there's these, you know, a, a cheat sheet for check recession kind of thing, you know, and, and, and we're seeing a lot of uh, angst in the tech space. This one I want to throw to you guys and go, okay, what's your perspective right now on the marketplace and what's to come that our audience should be thinking as everyone else seems to be losing their minds and their hairs on fire. So I will start this by saying, and I said this this morning on a workshop with, with, with a bunch of uh, solution providers, um, there's more cool technology to sell today than there has ever been before. And it performs more meaningful value for our customers than it has ever done. And customers are more interested in consuming and capitalizing on that technology than they've ever been. From a marketer's point of view, from a go-to-market strategy point of view, this is the best season to have ever been in the business of technology. That's different from the stock market, right? I will tell you, the you know the 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 pundits that forecast revenue on all of these things, uh, consumption of uh, server storage network infrastructure is forecast to increase to historical levels this year. Personal devices are going to cool a little bit, but still hit record numbers in a post-pandemic world. Hardware, software, technical services, spending in every meaningful category that we are tracking is going up. But that doesn't mean that the stock prices of these things were ever based on actual reality of, oh, you make a product that somebody pays a price for and you yield a margin from, I'm gonna reward you with some financial vehicles, right? That, that I think the market is in phenomenally good condition for what we have to sell and who is willing to buy it. But I think that this is finally getting back to the point where maybe the technicians, the technologists of the world might be the ones in charge of the conversation and not just the bean counters. Well, the other thing to remember is there's a huge difference between you, the, the person who owns a small business trying to get by in the world, and the people who are investing in the stock market. 
right? I remember the, the crash, the, the, the recession of 2000, 2001. Um, and I have to tell you, I made more money than, during those two years than I had in a long, long time and, or a long time after that. The thing is, you are a, you, every, each person who listens to this, you are an economy of one. You need one more client to make next month a good month. And you need one more client after that to make the month after that a good month. And on and on and on. And take care of the clients you have, and you're going to be just fine. I, I think the fact that uh, when we look at our industry, each of us can say, here's what I want to do in the next, whatever, 10 or 12 months. We have more opportunity than we've ever had, as Ryan just said. And, you know, the people that we're working with, the companies we're working with, are just flooded with cash like if apple wants to have more partners they can buy them if microsoft wants more partners they can buy them right they, they can do whatever it takes to move their markets ahead um so the stock investor is one person but the person who supports it out in the world i think that there's there will be no visible recession on that side of the scales i think that we will see clients need us. The world keeps changing all the time and more and more and more. I, the demand will simply go up. The Let's only good news to come out of this uh, that, that a lot of people haven't addressed is if these people, if these large companies start laying off, guess what? That just means that we're going to fill the million or so vacancies in this industry that we haven't figured out how we're going to fill in the, in the last couple of years. So. I think if you're at the small end, it's all good news. So, you know, sleep well at night and be, just keep an eye on the stock market if you're invested. Well, so I'm, I'm, a little, so I'm going to be a little bit more tempered, but I'm going to start with the reminder of everyone is like, look, Wall Street is not Main Street. It's a nice, nice, way, nice way of saying it. And remember, my little version of that is, is replace investor with the word gambler and everything makes so much more sense. Right. So all the gamblers are all worried, you know, like that, just ignore all that. Now, I am slightly less uh, of, of the, the, the rosy picture than my two colleagues here, um, mostly because I look at the recession and I'm, I'm looking at it saying, like, I believe we are going to go into a recession. And what I like to do is, is I like to think like our customers and look at the drag on potential customers. And say, like, I agree with everything that you guys have all said, right? I think, oh, we're, our services are still in need. Yet I want to analyze that if you are serving sectors that are having slowdowns, you know, it is real easy to imagine drag on, a, on an IT business if I said every single one of your customers now loses one person. That's kind of impactful to you if you're pricing on, I don't know, a device or per user, you know, per device per user basis. If I immediately took away one employee from every single one of your customers, uh, you'll, you're going to feel that, right? You're going to feel that as a loss of a customer. You're probably going to feel it maybe as a loss of two customers, depending on your size. And I also look and say, like, if, if, these, if your customers are feeling more headwinds, they may be making decisions that are not necessarily to buy more of your services. Now, they might make decisions to buy more of your services. They may use this as an opportunity to invest in tech, to streamline operations, to be more effective. I want to highlight that there are upsides here. I just don't want everyone to get over, you know, like overconfident of the way the market's out there. And you want to be close to your customers to understand what's coming. 
knowing that businesses that get built in recessions do better over the long term. This is a good time. And I remain very much fixated on business fundamentals are fundamentals for a reason. If you're working on tracking your revenues and tracking your expenses and understanding profit at the bottom, you're going to be just fine. But I don't want to paint this picture of like, oh, it's all fine. It's all great. It's all opportunity. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to be too rosy, but I will say this. The, the comparison has been to the recession of 2000, 2001, not to 2009, 2010. I think this recession is going to look a lot like the quote unquote recession we had for 20 minutes in, in 2020. Uh, I just don't think that this is going to be a big monstrous thing that people are going to remember 10 years from now. It'll be the thing that people remember as, are you sure there was a recession in 2020? Because I did just fine. Yeah, well, and, and I think it's also, again, Dave, very good voice of reason and, and to be responsible uh, because it doesn't guarantee that any of us as individual participants will be successful. It just means that the conditions are there in which you could execute effectively on your business fundamentals. Your mileage may vary and and some of us are worse at business than others, right? Like So that, that that's always going to be true. But I think that the real pain, if there is going to be significant pain in the next six months, it's going to be at the mega vendor level, not at the individual solution provider level. And, and let's just observe, uh, trading at like, 50, 75, 100, 400 times earnings just because your tech brand is fancy and people buy your PowerPoint pitch. Um, that was never a good idea. I, you know, it was fun for the people who made money on the stock. I put a dollar in and then I retired a millionaire. Cool, good for you. That's fun. But that was never real. That was always delirious and to come back to reality a little bit and where tech vendors actually i don't know they might all actually have to operate on business fundamentals and not just buckets of free money that'd be a good thing for all of us agreed also if you if you want to get rid of that problem with one client every every client loses one endpoint sell a cloud five pack i'm just saying <laughs> Carl loves those. Carl loves those. And with that, we have come to the end of episode 164 of the Killing It, Killing it. podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.